thank you so much for being here. It's great to see you. Welcome to Grace, and thank you for tuning in as you take your Bibles and head back for the last time for a while to Romans 3, we're going to be concluding this mini-series called Divine Plumbline. I'll come back to that in a few moments. I want to express my gratitude to a few folks. First, we had a group of men and women here at the church for many, many, many hours creating the beautiful Christmas decorations out there and in here. Would you join me in expressing your thanks to them for all of their hard work? Thank you so much, guys. And um, there are some picture stations. Here's what I'd love for you to do. I don't say this a whole lot. A lot of churches do this, but we're already very um, prominent on social media. But if you would, get out there and this week or in the next few weeks, get your family photos out there. We'll have people to help you if you need it. But there are some things you can put your face in, like, you know, nutcrackers and all that kind of thing. Uh, go out there and enjoy that and then blitz and post about your church and what God is doing. I want to brag on Jesus for just a minute because the Lord is up to some phenomenal things. We have over 50 signed up for our Life at Grace class next hour, and they've uh, actually got food for 60. So if you didn't sign up but you want to know more about what it means, means to be a part of the Grace family. There's no obligation there. We're not going to ask you to give blood or sign away anything. We're just going to tell you about who we are, give you the covenant to take home and pray about. And if you're led to join us, only do what God tells you to do. If you're led to be a part of this church, do it. If not, don't do it. But over 120 people have said yes and signed that covenant and become part of the Grace family since August. And then here's an even greater statistic than that in the last four months. A greater statistic than that is what you're going to see now from our student ministry is nine more young people professing faith in Christ publicly. And since August, we have had 85 precious people go to be baptized. 85. Well over 100 have prayed to receive Christ. I told my prayer partners this morning, honestly, I don't think there has been a, a Sunday since August that I can't remember of... Uh, People get uh, every week. People are giving their lives to Jesus Christ every single weekend. Every weekend, and 85 have trusted Him and been baptized. These are the last nine that we celebrated together. And so, I want you to just—we um, want to avoid pride. We talked about it last week. We'll review it this week. We don't want to say, "Look at what we've done." But we should never fail to say, look at what our great and glorious God has done. Look at what God has done. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. So watch this. Listen to how these kids are celebrating for one another. Uh, what a wonderful night we had Wednesday night with our student ministry. Thank you to Pastor Brian and his team for a wonderful job with these young men and women. You guys watch this and, and uh, let's celebrate them too. Let's celebrate what God is doing in the lives of these students. What an amazing picture of grace. And I hope that that's not just their story, I hope that it's your story. I hope that you have come to see Jesus as better than everything else and your only hope, because he is our only hope. And without him, we've got nothing. But with him, we have everything. His death and resurrection is all that we need. My name is Ian, and Jesus is my Lord. Favorite with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. My name is Jake, and Jesus is my Lord. Paired with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. Come on. Hi, my name is Allie, and Jesus is my Lord. Good job, Allie. Paired with him in baptism. 
Raised to walk in newness of life. Good job. My name is Lily and Jesus is my Lord. Good job. Baptism and baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. My name is Kaylana Dowood and Jesus is my Lord. That's right. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. Congratulations. My name is Morgan and Jesus is my Lord. Good job. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. My name is Hannah, and Jesus is my Lord. Good job. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. My name is Samuel, Jesus is my Lord. Amen. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. You ready for this? All right, all right, go for it. My name is Austin, and Jesus is my Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. Woo! I love it. I love it. <clears throat> May it never get old to see on the outside what God has already done on the inside <clears throat> for our young people. By the way, that last kid is a lineman for CAK. We're praying that he'll get right with Jesus and come to grace. <clears throat> 350 pounds, and in addition to Ted, he's one of my bodyguards, so don't mess with me. That was a sweet guy. Thank you guys so much. Um, man, I tell you what, God is good, and he's really moving among our students, so thank you guys. Uh, so this is the plumb line. Everybody know that by now, right? UT Orange plumb line. Was anybody else hoping Georgia was going to whoop Alabama? I'm just going to throw that out there right quick. <sighs> oh, well. Okay, maybe next time. So UT Orange right here, okay? Look, this is the standard. This is the standard. This always shows us true vertical. This is not you. This is not me. This is not my opinion. This is not the cultural tide. This is the Word of God, both the written Word of God, the Bible, the living Word of God, Jesus. And those are not separate. They are the same. And I'll tell you why. You don't know about the living Word, Jesus, without the written Word, the Bible. So when we come to the Bible, we get to know who Jesus is. We get to have the mind of Christ. We get to be rightly aligned. We've talked about different subjects over the last several weeks. Just a good old boy was the start of this series, and we discovered there are none. None is righteous before a holy God. Jew and Gentile alike are separated by God by our sin. Then we moved on and we talked about how to be right with God. And we spent a couple of weeks saying, what does it mean to be right with God? How can I understand his righteousness? How can I be aligned vertically? Because I'll never be aligned horizontally with my neighbor, with my family, with my friends until I'm aligned vertically. The very Ten Commandments of God, the first tablet, all has to do with how we relate to God. The second tablet, the second half, all how we relate to one another. And it's always in that order. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then 
love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor well without loving God first. In fact, 1 John that we looked at most of this year taught us that very powerful lesson. And so after we looked at righteousness, we learned that righteousness is from God, not based on our works, based on his grace, secured by the sacrifice of Christ and received into our life by faith in Jesus alone. Once we learned that, last week we discovered because we're justified by faith in Christ alone, there is no place for pride. When we, when we are prideful, we are stealing the glory from God that only God deserves. There's no place for that in the life of a Christian. And we need to celebrate frequently. Because I think what happens in church is we push, 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 and we want to see God move, and God moves, but we never thank God for the movement. We never thank God for what he did. We never slow down long enough to say, Lord, Thank you for what you're doing in the life of our people, in the life of this community. I mean, the faces, what I love about the video is, although I was in the room, I couldn't see the faces of those students as well until I looked at Jesse's video. And it's the faces of those teenagers coming up out of the water. We hear all this craziness online and on the news, and we read about, well, kids are into this and they're doing that. But I'm telling you, there are some wonderful young people, some great Gen Zers out there that are on fire for Jesus Christ. And we shouldn't be throwing them under the bus. We ought to be loving on them and say, you millennials and then these, you Gen Zers, we are with you. Okay, boomer? Okay? That's what we need to do. I'm not that. I'm an Xer. But I just want to make sure you understand that there's God's working in our students, God's working in our families, and we should celebrate it. But if we think we've done it, no, God's done it in spite of us, not because of us. But we, we give him the glory, we give him the praise. And so there's no place for pride. Let's see what else we can learn as we conclude Romans 3. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. And then the next two Sundays, I've got two very special Christmas messages for you. I've never done them here at uh, Grace, and I've gone back, and I want to talk to you about some, some uh, precursors to Christmas that maybe uh, you'll know of them, but maybe you've never thought about them in quite this way, all right? So let's conclude Romans 3. We'll pick up again in 27. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. Well, now, what's he talking about? Well, because we're all guilty before God, and, and righteousness can only come through Christ and a relationship with him by faith, there's no place for pride, no place for boasting. So what, is this because of the law, by the law of works? What do we, what do, we do the right thing and avoid the wrong thing? No, no, no. This comes by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Now, watch this. This is where we shift into prejudice. Or is he the God of the Jews only? It's rhetorical. Of course not. Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Again, many theologians have told us that this is in many ways the heart of the Bible. Lord, if that's true, then it's your heart because every word is breathed by you. And so, God, I'm praying today that as you have spoken, we will now have eyes to see and ears to hear and hands and feet to apply this truth. This is not just some antiquated truth for a group called Jews and Gentiles 2,000 years ago. This is truth for today. 
Truth for the moment. Truth that shows us that there is no place for pride. And as we'll see today, no place for prejudice in the heart of a child of God. Thank you for what you're doing in your church, in your school, in this community. God, may it continue for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, I just gave you the point, right? Because we're justified by faith in Christ alone, there's no place for prejudice. And then we'll unpack that as we walk through the text. These points are easy to remember because they're just right here in front of us. 27 and 28, no pride. 29 to 31, no prejudice. What do I mean when I say because we're justified by faith in Christ alone, there's no room for prejudice? What do I mean by that? Well, I mean simply this. Everyone can experience salvation. Now, I'm not going to get into some type of Calvinistic debate about predestination and God ordaining people before the foundation of the world. I've certainly studied it. I understand it. I understand the classic points of TULIP. But I also know there's enough of the sovereignty of God that is still a mystery to us. And I believe that Jesus died for all. Some have said his atonement is limited. It's limited only to the elect. And I would say, no, it's effectual only to those who would trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In other words, Jesus died for all. We know all will not be saved. Many will continue to walk away from God. But I would simply say that whosoever will may come. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because I grew up learning John 3.16. And it says, God so loved the World And there's no uh, limit to that word. There's no uh, limit to whoever believes in him. And, and whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone can experience salvation, 29 and 30. Is God the God of the Jews only? No, he is not. He is God of the non-Jew, the Gentiles. So whether you use the label of Jew ethnically or religiously or a little bit of both, God is the God of the Jew and the non-Jew. So Paul reiterates that salvation is not the exclusive right of one group of people. He puts an end to this narrow nationalism. He's already made his point in Romans 1.16 when he said that the gospel is the power of God to everyone. Do you see it? It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, yes, because God had chosen them to be a light to the nations, but it didn't stay with them to the Greek or the Gentile also. I love how theologian and author James Montgomery Boyce applies this truth. He says this, who may come? Everybody. How may I come? Just as you are. When may I come? At any time, but don't delay. I think Boyce hit the nail on the head. If you guys would help me out up there, I'm showing negative 37 minutes. Um, I just really am getting started. So if we could just, I would be really, that thing that was red right in my face. Um, I'd love to get my time over maybe. Um, all right, watch this. Christianity is excluded. This is the part the world doesn't like, by the way. But I'm not going to apologize for it because it's truth. It's biblical truth. It accords with reality. Christianity is exclusive because Jesus is the only way to heaven. Okay? It's exclusive. There's no other way. 
that we can be saved. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus said, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl cometh to the Father but by me. But Christianity is simultaneously inclusive in that whosoever will may come. Again, I am not going to debate. If you are one of these who is uh, hyper-reformed, we're not going to debate. I do believe in God's election. I do believe in predestination. Those are biblical concepts. I also believe that man receives or rejects the truth of God. I believe they are two strands of one cord. And that it's hard for our finite minds to put those together. I am neither Armenian nor am I Calvinist. I prefer the term biblicist. Somewhere in the middle is the truth and the fact that God chooses me. Yes, salvation is A to Z of God. But if I come to God by faith, guess what that means? God chose me. God drew me. No one comes unless the Father draws him, John 6, 44. And so if I do come, it shows me that God initiated that work because grace and faith are a gift from the Lord. But unfortunately, fewer and fewer people are believing this today, including, sadly, even some pastors. In an interview in Time Magazine, now this has been 15 years ago. This is crazy to me that this is 15 years old. But a new leader of a large denomination, I'll not even get into the name, but a large denomination in America was asked for her views on a number of topics. And she was a leader of, of actually millions of professing Christians. When asked if belief in Jesus is the only way to heaven, this is how this religious leader responded, supposedly Christian. She said, quote, we who practice the Christian tradition understand him as our vehicle to the divine. But for us to assume that God could not act in other ways is, I think, to put God in an awfully small box. Well, the problem in that way of thinking is it might sound warm and fuzzy, but it makes God a liar. Do you want to serve a God who's a liar? Do you want to serve a God who said, here is my son, he is the one and only way, the monogenes, the one and only unique son of God, and then you come along and say, oh, well, God's so small if you believe that. No, 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 our God is so big that he knew there could only be one way to be just and the justifier of those who come by faith in Christ. And so this lady's just wrong. And you've heard me say, I said again last week, I could not love and serve a God if there was a way apart from Jesus because it would make no sense and that God would be a liar. And while the way to eternal life is narrow, that doesn't mean we as Christians have to act narrow-minded and try to choose who gets to hear the gospel and who gets to be saved and who doesn't. All people deserve an opportunity to hear the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and give their life to him. All people Red, yellow, black, white, everybody. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote, during his student days, he read the gospel seriously, and Gandhi considered converting to Christianity. He believed the teachings of Jesus. In those teachings, he could find the solution to the caste system dividing his people in India. And that's very true. It's very true. You cannot have a caste system and Christianity living in the same environment. So one Sunday, Gandhi decided to attend services at a nearby Christian church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. When he entered the sanctuary, however, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested he go worship with his own people. Gandhi left that church and never returned, and this is what he would say some years later. If Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. 
The usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but turned a person away from possibly trusting him as Savior. You see, folks, the Jewish people were in a special covenant with God, but they also had a sacred commission to share their blessings with the Gentiles. And when God established the Jews through Abram, who would later become Abraham, he said in Genesis 12, 3, do you see this? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. If they bless you, I'll bless them. If they curse you, I'll curse them. But through you, Abram, Abraham, Abram, exalted father, Abraham, father of a multitude, through you, I will bless the world. Salvation was never meant to be kept by the Gentiles and by the Jews, but shared through the Jews. And instead of considering themselves as belonging to God, many Jews considered that God belonged to them. That wasn't as a problem. Many became ethnically exclusive and spiritually separate. And it's not just the Jewish people that have struggled with that through the ages, is it? Many Christians, instead of remembering that we belong to God, have started to think God belongs to us. And God is for those who look like us and sound like us and have the education or socioeconomics that we have. And you and I both know that is absolute hogwash. So let's move toward uh, this next truth here. Uh, The law of God should drive us to the Lamb of God. Look at 31. The law of God should drive us to the Lamb of God. 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? Do, Do we do away with the law because we believe? Do we say that God's law has no place? Do we take a large chunk of scripture, rip it out, throw it away, and say we don't really need that anymore? Or do we still read the whole law, all of God's word, Genesis to Revelation? Well, Paul is telling the Roman believers here, certainly not. We don't void the law through faith. On the contrary, we establish the law. Do we nullify the law? No. We uphold the law. That's a way to translate this. The law is not outlawed. The law is not done away with. The law shows us a mirror to our true need for God's grace. All of us need God's grace. That's why there's no room for prejudice at the foot of the cross That's why it's very tempting sometimes to look at someone and think, look at what they've done. Look at how they're living their life. Look at how they're throwing it away. And look at me. And look at how I've got it together. Every one of us in this room knows, no matter what the public may think, you don't have it that much together. (laughs) In the quiet place, every one of you knows, every one of you, And if you say, no, I've got it together, then go over to Westtown Mall and get in that traffic this afternoon. That'll test your faith, man. I was there yesterday to celebrate two of my girls' birthdays. I had to go back to the car. I truly went back to the car for about an hour because I didn't want to lose it in the middle of those crazies. And if you were out there, I'm sorry, but you were one of them. The reality is there's no room for pride or prejudice at the foot of the cross. It's level ground there because we all come the same way. Do you realize even the Virgin Mary, who at that point was no longer a virgin because Jesus had several stepbrothers and sisters, but even Mary needed Jesus. I'm actually gonna preach a message 
in a couple of weeks, right before Christmas, uh, with that famous Mark Lowry song title, Mary, Did You Know? Even Mary needed to be delivered by the child that she delivered. And I've heard this said, again, I don't remember the source, it's been so long, but I've heard different versions of this said before. The law is not a ladder by which we climb to God to earn his acceptance. Instead, it's like an x-ray which exposes the extent of our sin and guilt. So we see our need for mercy and grace. See, thou shall, thou shalt not. Every time I do that or don't do that, it doesn't get me closer to God. It exposes that I am incapable of climbing the ladder at all. Because it wouldn't take very long for me to fall from that ladder. I love what Ray Comfort does. As he teaches evangelism, Ray Comfort, some of you have seen him work with Kirk Cameron, and he, he'll stop people on the street and interview, and he said, have you ever told a lie? What's that make you a liar? Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? What's that make you an adulterer? Have you ever had a, a moment of hatred in your heart against someone? Well, the Bible says that makes you a murderer. And he just kind of unpacks just how dirty and rotten people are. And you don't have to be Hitler or Stalin to be in that category. But the law is not taking us up to God. It is exposing us for who we really are. Now listen to this very carefully. Christianity is meant neither to be legalistic nor lawless. I was speaking about this at our GCA Veterans Day program. It's not anything goes. Do whatever you want. Lawlessness. It's not legalistic to say rules, 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 rules. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. That's not Christianity. Christianity doesn't work in the realm of lawlessness, nor does it work in the realm of legalism. It works in the realm of liberty. The law is not abolished, and I'll give you some reasons why on the screens. It's not abolished because the law continues to reveal the holy character of God. I'll give you cross-references for later if you ever want to look back at that. The law is not abolished because it exposes our depravity, right? The law is not abolished because it prepares us for the gospel as a tutor, as a schoolmaster. A great educator points you to the truth. The law is that great educator. The law shows us that Jesus fulfills all of the requirements of it. Therefore, he was the perfect sacrifice. And the law guides us as believers day by day. If you and I could just simply realize today that according to the law, all are guilty. But God sent his son Jesus to pay the price for sin because he loves the world. Jesus loves all the little children of the world. It's very difficult sometimes as a Christian in America in this type of area in particular, to realize that people can be so very different from us and that people can have so very little. Sometimes I think when we get mixed groups of people together, particularly in America across socioeconomic strata, whether we would say it out loud or not, some of us get uncomfortable, myself included. We had our Feeding the 5,000 
and I think you heard my heart a few weeks ago, I was deeply, deeply disappointed that more people didn't come out. I was grateful to God for the people that came and got boxes. I was grateful for the 20 plus that received Christ, grateful for the 10 that were baptized here, grateful for the follow-up that's been happening, grateful for the relationships that have been being built. We heard some of that in our all-staff meeting this week as we were reflecting upon the event and talking about how to move it into the heart of where people are. But I was particularly grateful for one local pastor One local pastor had asked us for um, nearly 150 boxes the week before the event, and we said, I'm so sorry, we don't know how many we're going to need, so we just can't promise you those right now. I understand. Well, as soon as we discovered that we were going to have about 150 plus boxes left over, our team made the call. He was able to bless an entire apartment unit with mostly single moms, 95% single mothers. Every single family got to have a Thanksgiving meal that we had no idea who to touch. I'm going to take this one step further. Very different, by the way. We, We went out and had lunch this week. We prayed together. We cried together. We rejoiced together in what God did. But then I began to hear about an opportunity for Christmas. And I began to hear his heart to bless these 140-plus families for Christmas. And I said, what is that going to take? And I'm going to just tell you what he said, about $15,000. I said, okay. So I got my phone, and I texted our finance team. And I said, I have a feeling that after all expenses and promotion and everything else, I have a feeling We got more than we needed for feeding the 5,000. Am I right? And when the number came back, what you had done after expenses was you had given $46,000 on a $20,000 need. So, then we had spent about $10,000 for extra literature and all of that, so I'm not superb at math, but I can do 46 minus 10 minus 20, and that left $16,000. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I didn't wait to ask you. You gave it to missions. We're blessing 140 families for Christmas. (laughs) Doug sent the money on. It's there. They have it, and they're going to be able to go and get what they need. Now, here's the part that touched my heart. Maybe above all else, as myself and some fellow pastors were sitting around the table from our team with this gentleman, and we're not going to get into the name. We don't need to know all of that. All we need to know is that God is moving in the hearts of these people, and I said, please make sure Grace is just a silent partner. We don't need any name or credit. Here's my Christmas list. We read through the papers. Soap. Diapers and wipes. Underwear and socks, toothpaste, and the list goes on. Just like that. My kid's Christmas list does not look like that. But I'm very, very grateful for a generous church. That when I thought, you know, Thanksgiving, oh man, we put all this effort in and these people didn't get, you know what God was doing in the background? 
He's saying there's a pocket of need out there, and it's less than 10 miles from here, less than 10 miles away. And there are people that need some stuff for their kids for Christmas. So not only am I going to let you bless them at Thanksgiving, every single home, every apartment, I'm going to let you bless them at Christmas. Grace, you did that. By the glory and grace of God, you did that together. And when I tell you by your lavish giving and by your generous spirit, more people are blessed, I mean it. I had no idea. But earlier this week, God opened that door, connected that relationship, and because of the overflow, you did that. So not only have we made an impact for Thanksgiving, but likewise for Christmas. And I tell you all of that to say, when we're justified by faith in Christ alone, there's no place for pride. Look at what God has done. Not to us, but to your name we give the glory. And there's just no place for prejudice. There are people hurting right here down the street. Yes, it's good to go around the world, and we will. Yes, it's good to go across the seas, we will. But it is also important to go across the street. It is important to love people here, and they will look different. I'm just blessed to be with you and to serve a church like this that's loving people well and loving them in practical ways. By the way, with those, the gospel's going forth with all of those gifts. Okay, let me close with this. Imagine I'm still at negative 55 minutes, so it's okay. My feelings are hurt just a little bit, but I'm not gonna bring it up again. I've been read the whole morning. Imagine a man before a judge. He's been given the choice of paying $100 or serving 90 days in jail. The man doesn't have any money, but he has an invalid wife and five hungry children at home, depending on him and him alone. He tells his heart-wrenching story to the courtroom, and the spectators are moved with such pity, they take up a collection to pay the man's fine. Although it's unlike him, even the judge chips in a little bit, and they raise $99.95. Even though they're only five cents short, the judge declares that the entire $100 must be paid in orders to take the man to jail, orders the bailiff to take the man to jail. As the man dejectedly begins to walk out of the courtroom, he thrusts his hands deep into his pockets, and there he feels it. He finds a nickel. <laughs> he immediately runs back into the courtroom, and he slaps that nickel down on the bar before the judge, and he says, I'm free. I'm free, I'm free. Now, in that criminal's mind, what freed him? The $95 and the 95 cents or the 5 cents? Well, we both know it was the 5. But I would remind you on the authority of the Word of God that you don't add one nickel to your salvation. You don't add one red cent to what God has done for you. Because the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price at Calvary. He paid the price in full. And as Jeff and Tony come up to join me on the platform, I would remind you that God is not asking you to climb the ladder of law and legalism to get right with him, to get clean, and then be saved. God is saying to you, you come just as you are. Because Jesus already paid the price, crucified in your place, dead, buried, resurrected by 
by the glory of God. And Christmas will have no meaning for you this year or any year until you realize he was born to die and then to live again. Born to take your place. Born to take my place. Born fully God, fully man, the perfect once for all sacrifice. Why wouldn't you say yes to this Jesus and the way he wants you to come is just as you are. When you know Jesus, there's no place for pride and there's no place for prejudice. That's good news because whosoever will may come. Stand with me this morning. Man, I'm so, I'm so thrilled to be a part of something bigger than me. My heart was so touched the other day looking at those Christmas sheets, sitting down with my brother. My heart was so overwhelmed and I thought, man, $15,000, we all have $15,000. But to know what you had already done. You had already done it as an overflow of missional giving. You had already done it. Together by the grace of God, we had gone over and above. And you know, Romans 3 tells us that God will do exceedingly and abundantly more than we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory now and forever in his church. God will do more, exceedingly and abundantly more. He's continuing to do that. I'm just asking you to prayerfully consider being a part of it if you're a guest. Would you like to be a part of something bigger? Then come and be a part of the family of faith. Come and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You say, I've done that, good. Then come and make sure you're walking and growing maturity with him. I've done that, good. Then come and unite with this fellowship. Well, I wanna know more about that. Well, at 10.30, there's an opportunity. How much is that? Free, today only, free. You can come. We'll even feed you Panera or something. There's just no excuse. And when people come that are different, the way they look or sound or smell or whatever it may be, and people come that are different, I want to be a place where they know they're welcome. You're welcome here. You're welcome in this place. You're welcome in this family. Because all of us come to the Lord the same way. Right, Bob Bell? They ask, how did you come? What do you say? I don't know. <laughs> the guy on the cross, right? The guy on the middle cross said I could come. Isn't that what that thief would say? They say, how did you get here? Alistair Begg, I don't know. <laughs> I can't do his accent. But the guy on the middle cross said I could come. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I've just never seen a season of ministry like this. And I pray to God it doesn't end. I pray it's a spark that grows a fire of revival and awakening in our area that will touch not just grace, but all of our churches and our communities and change the world from this place. It would be just like God to change the world from here. If you want to be a part of it, I would encourage you to come. Heavenly Father, Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for lives being changed. 
Thank you for the God-man on the middle cross who said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Not by works, not by church, not even by baptism. By grace through faith in Christ alone, we all come by the way of the cross. And we come just as we are. Move us now in these final minutes together, I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.